Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is, you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is, tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to Book Club, the show where every week we reconstruct, deconstruct and put back together a sales book. You're with myself, Mike. Price and Mark Akers today, who we saw on LinkedIn and invited on the show via audio. And today we're talking about Go Give Us Sell More by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And Bob Berg is going to be coming on the show in a couple of weeks to tell us all about the book. But for now, it's down to me, you and Mark. Pricey. Good. I can't wait. Yeah. So how have you been getting on with this one? Well, I've read it all, obviously. <laughs> You've nailed it at Taekwondo whilst watching the kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to get, you know, let, 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 let's go into it properly, but I have read it. And uh, I, I tell you what, we were talking a little bit off air about it before we were going, and I think that different people might have a different level of enthusiasm about it. But I like it. What do you like about it? Do you know what? I like the fact that it's a bit different. It's, you know, really, it's really different. You know, have I sat here and thought, right, I'm going to do it all? Well, no, but have I sat here and thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you reckon, Mark? What? I was going to say, what, what was interesting for you? Um, I mean, I thought it was okay. I mean, it was, it was an easy read. Um, you know, I flew through 100 pages in a couple of hours. Um, some, 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 Most of it resonated with me, in fairness, but it resonated with me in a sense of just, yeah, I know, like... I didn't feel like there was much there that, that really sort of challenged me to, to think differently and, and, and work differently. But what, what did you find interesting then? I'd say I found interesting because I'm with you on the, yeah, no, and yeah, do it, you know, and, and, and all the rest of it. But what I found interesting about it was is most of the sales books that you read, and you've read a few yourself, I'm sure, they're trying to create a formula, and I'm sitting here assessing the formula. A process. Or a process. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the formulaic is the word, actually, or they are sort of amateurish psychology or whatever. This book felt to me like um, it was written. I said this to Jonathan I, he, it, before we got on air, before we talked to you, actually, Mark, is it, it, it reminded me of a book that I've read called As a Man Thinketh which actually is is, a, is sort of part religious text, part sales book. It just had that feeling that it was like the Dalai Lama did a sales. Spirit, a spiritual, spiritual man. that's the right word, yeah, absolutely. Like it's the work of a spiritual man. Uh, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, the, the thing that really resonates with, with me is that a lot of salespeople fall into the trap of talking about themselves, talking about what their company does. Yeah. But the the reality is this book is all around how you add value, how you help your, your prospects. And that, that's certainly what I do a lot of talking about um, and, and how I try to approach sales. Yeah. It, it, I, you know, if someone asks you, what do you do? You, you've got to ask them more about themselves first and then build on that value, try and talk in their language and their world. Okay. What problems they potentially have and how can you add value to that and into their lives? All right. So it does resonate with me. It really does. But it yeah. Does- Okay, as our guest, Mark, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in sales for about 10 years now, always been in technology sales, um, 
mainly working with technology startup companies. Yeah. Um, so I started off started off in marketing, uh, but within about a year and a half into my career, I just I just felt like sales was for me. Um, noticed that I was passing over leads that I generated and that they were being closed, and so I wanted to have a bit of that and earn a bit of that uh, the, the commission. Um, moved over in, into an SDR role, so sort of sales development rep, putting on meetings. Did that for three years, which I think very helpful. Gave me a good grounding in sales. It was you know a lot of cold calls, a lot of rejection, a lot of trying to craft emails and, and, and trying to contact people in those different ways. Um, and then stepped up into a quota carrying sales role about six, seven years ago. Right. Uh, and i been doing it ever since. And, you know, I, I absolutely love it. My whole perception of sales has changed in the past 10 years. Um, and I genuinely believe it's it's a skill. It's a you know, real profession and, and something that you can perfect and, and work on. Good for you, mate. Good for you. Right. So let's. what we normally do is we do a quick heads up on the book. So, Mike, what's the central tenet of this book? The central tenet is given away in the title. Go givers sell more. He's saying focus on your prospect and focus, like Mark said, actually on what value you can give to them in a genuine, honest, to a point, at a point, selfless manner. Yeah, and I, and when I underlined something in the first pe- few pages, so let's get stuck in. Exactly what have you what, got? I underlined something. I can't find it now. He said something like the classic sales process culminates in the close. Ours focuses on the open. Yeah, that's pretty and, much and that's the point, sort of a it? decent summary. But then he breaks it down into five laws. I actually, I like the way the book's written. Actually, the law of value, law of compensation, law of influence, law of authenticity, law of receptivity, and then he breaks each of those five laws down into various subcategories and that's how the book's written really isn't it yeah and and in many respects it's in many ways it's a bit of an anti-sales book isn't it in comparison to some of the books we've read you know if you look at particularly for example sandler or particularly the the, the jordan belfort book that we wrote that we read early when we first started doing the show the wolf's chucking this out of his window i think yeah i think the wolf would be getting in his car and going and have a word Mm. um I would agree with that. You know, the, the Jordan Belford, you know, he, he doesn't look to create value. He, he does look to convince people. And, yeah. you know, that, that first chapter is you cannot sell to someone that doesn't need your 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 product or your service. And, and I personally, I agree with that. In, in the B2B sales world, if there's not a problem to be solved, you have no value. And, yeah. and it's best to identify that as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, so uh, there's a point he's made here in the introduction He said, perhaps the biggest difference in what we describe here has to do with the concept of control. The traditional approach to sales, reinforced and fine-tuned by dozens of carefully honed techniques, aimed to choreograph the process by putting control firmly in the hands of the salesperson, which is probably why neither party really enjoys it. It's not much fun to have someone try and control you. So what he's really getting at is, if you're running a process, if you're trying to convince or persuade or influence the outcome of of the process per se, you're in the wrong place. And actually what he's really saying is there's a paradigm here, which is if you're in it to bring value and do deliver service and to serve your customer and deliver value, then actually the sale will pretty much work itself out somewhere along the line. Mm. What, do, do, you know what, what do we think, I, fellas? Well, I was going to say, I, I think there's, there's one analogy in this book that I genuinely think is exceptional and I, I know I'll use it for the rest of my life. 
Uh, he comes a little bit further on than what we've read up to today. But uh, he, he says, if you think about the pitch as an example, he uses baseball and tennis. And he says that when someone asks you, what do you do? And there's that initial conversation. People would either do the baseball throw where the idea is to get them strike out, they can't hit them, turn the ball. And that's what most salespeople do. They start talking about themselves. They're, they're steamrolling you, telling you how great they are, how great their business is. Um, but really, when you get asked that, it should be like tennis. When you serve, it's because you, you're hitting it to them, for them to hit back. And that's what it's all about. It's about helping them and get, letting them control that conversation. Ultimately, you want them to be asking you, so oh, how do you do that? How can you help me? And building up that, that value. So I, I think that baseball tennis analogy is amazing. You like that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Right. So we're on chapter one then. Let's have a chat about creating value. Okay. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, it's, it's like we've been saying, it's all sort of, it's all sort of fairly, you know, part of this, I did like the book actually. Like I say, part of the problem with it is I feel like I could have taken no notes at all. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. You sort of sit and agree with it, really, and think, yeah, right, yeah, fair enough. What, and you, there was not a lot to pick out. I mean, I, I like the first bit here. He talks about excellence as part of the way in which you deliver value. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. Do, you, how do you get, how do you greet people on the phone? How do you manage your correspondence and email? How do you dress? How do you pronounce the other person's name? You know, saying it I starts. I that same bit, absolutely. And, it, and it's so right. I mean, to be fair to you, Mike, you wear a suit every single day. Well, because I'm working from home, I wear, for, I yeah. wear a suit. Uh, I, I'm not quite as extreme as you know I wear, but even at home, I'll wear a jacket uh, because... What, uh, what about you, Mark? Are you a suit at home guy? Absolutely not, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of shaking my head a little bit at that. Um, Go on. <laughs> so, no, I get that. That's very traditional sales. Um, my, my industry is SaaS, software as a service. I, um, in a, a couple of jobs ago, I worked for what I would consider to be a leading SaaS company in the Northeast. Turned up for a meeting in a suit, and my boss was there in jeans and a, and a shirt, and he had a go at me. You know, he said that 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 isn't the right look here. You know, SaaS is cool, it's very trendy. It's almost like developer-led. You know, developers that come in in their in their polo shirts and shorts and flip-flops. Well, you see, um, you see, this is interesting, isn't it? Because in the context of this book, Bob Berg would disagree with you. Because Bob Berg says that wearing jeans and a T-shirt because sass is cool is you obsessing about yourself, not about the person that opposite you. So where that's interesting, I would push back because when I go and meet my, my potential customers, that's how they dress as well. Um, if, if I'm going to a, to a different type of meeting, I will dress appropriately. Fair enough. Um, but I, I, I dress for the occasion rather than... I, I, I know that weird if I turned up to some of my prospects in a full suit, it would look strange. Well, that's, that, I, that, that's fair enough. And then these well, go, I, go on, Mark. I was going to say, you know, in this chapter, the create value is excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. I, I think the excellence is the biggest one, though. And yes, dressing is one of those. But really, I think this is a key area for salespeople. A, a, a lot of salespeople learn from making mistakes, but a lot of salespeople make those mistakes in real life with their prospects or customers. Um, I actually don't think salespeople do enough to seek to improve. They don't train. Um, I don't think enough people review their conversations or record their calls, listen back to them. No. I don't think people do enough role play because they don't like it and the wrong stigmas. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably one of the only professions where people make mistakes 
in real life, and that's where revenue is won and lost. Yeah, I think distance is a big part of sales, and we can do a lot more offline to ensure that we get it right in the real world. Couldn't agree more, Mark. You know, if you were a footballer and you got beat 4-0 on Saturday, what are you doing on Monday? You're watching a video. You're watching yeah. the game and you sat with your coach and the coach is saying, what were you thinking when you did that there? Couldn't, whereas, couldn't agree. whereas how many salespeople do we know, particularly in the software game, who would who would tolerate, if theoretically you could get a video of every meeting they did uh, and then show them everything they'd done throughout the course of a deal that they'd lost and said, right, let's go through it. Do you know, it's yeah. interesting, I, uh, I, uh, we, we had a candidate a while ago who became a sales director, actually, but he had an offer from us and an offer to be a sales director, and he went with the sales director's role. I phoned him up, and because he's a sales guy, they're easy to talk to as a salesperson. I said, listen, any chance we can do a loss analysis? He couldn't have been keener or happier to do it with me. Yeah, because he, he got it. He got the point. Went, yeah, right, no problem. Yeah, I'll come and see you. Okay. What do we think of MacGuffin? I think that's an important one to explain to listeners. So then, because yeah, will you refer, explain it's refer, that? Please, it's referred to a lot through the job, isn't it? Yeah. So just explain MacGuffin. Well, I just thought it was a metaphor for the thing that you're selling. That we sell MacGuffins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an interchangeable word, isn't it? The object around which the whole story focuses. Yeah. Is what he what he refers to. And what's his point with regards to MacGuffins? Um, I, I picked up that you know. Regardless of what your MacGuffin is, you, you don't need to be in love with it. You need to be in love with how it helps your customers achieve their goals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not about you in sales. And I would say that, again, applies across sales. It's never about you. It's about your product. It's about your customer's problem and, and how you add value. Um, so, yeah, I think that was an important, an important chapter. But it, as long as people take that key learning away, it's, it's never about you. I remember once when I was a, a young recruitment consultant, to which everybody is meant to reply, but you're still a young recruitment consultant, Johnny. Um, but I remember once many, many years ago, uh, a manager that I, I was working with at the time said something really wise when he listened to a call I'd made. And he said, I want you today to spend the rest of the day making calls without using the word I or me. And it was a really valuable lesson. And, and we talked about it and he said, because every call is about you. It's all about what you want from the client. What about what they want? And it was actually a really valuable lesson. I was very fortunate to learn it early on because it was a mm. real, it was actually a bit of a game changing coaching moment from that particular individual who's since retired, but it was a game changer in a way because he, 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 he really talked to me about, well, what's in it for the client? What do they get out of this, Johnny? At the moment, it's just you getting, you getting a spec, you getting the money and you getting your commission. Anything in it for them? And it was one of those things where, you know, you're 24, 25, all you care about is commission, lager, clothes. And it was a bit of a, a game changer. But I do think that that comes back to the point about empathy, which is I find, I mean, I know when I was t younger as a salesperson, I just had no empathy at all. You have no human empathy, do you? No, because you've got no life experience with which to have and the you, empathy. And you're trying to place people who are 40 and you're 22. Yeah. That's your problem, isn't I it? had absolutely no empathy. It was it, it was like I'd had an empathy bypass, and it wasn't. I just haven't built enough life experience to understand the people around me. I agree with that. So next chapter is giving. Go on, then. What do you make of this, Mark? Yeah, I was a bit sceptical about this chapter, to be honest. Um, I, I definitely believe you can give insight, you can give expertise, knowledge, share ideas. But I'd never 
uh, rubber stamp or approved, giving away free trials, access to your to your platform or your product early. I thought you worked in the SaaS market. <laughs> You'll give it so away, don't you? No, see, I, I, in my experience, that's just the wrong thing to do. It just loses its value. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, you know, I, I do ensure that I, I try and give away as much expertise and insight and knowledge, but never access to the platform. Um, what I also thought was interesting is that balance that you mentioned. So, you know, give give something away, but don't give too much away where it looks a bit suspicious, like sort of lose all credibility. Um, yeah. I, I was at an event last week and someone was doing a talk and she was telling this story. It made my to- toes sort of curl. She said that she found out her prospect um, had had a child. So she sent them a baby grow with her company's logo on it. <laughs> I, I personally didn't like that at all, but that might just but be But Berg would say that's right. Yeah, I know, but I, I, I doesn't feel comfortable in my soul that. No, and I wonder the extent to which there is an English, an Anglo-American translation issue here culturally. No, I just think that's the way the, the Americans do it. I wrote here with the, the whole thing about where he positions giving in this chapter. I just wrote, time and energy is a very hard for and very real currency for me. And yet I'm all up for giving, but I've only got so much time to give. And, you know, let's get it right. Us creating this podcast and this this video blog podcast, this is a giving thing. We're giving value to our audience. And do you know what, Mike, I've seen you do some tremendous acts of giving to clients. And I know I've done some tremendous acts of giving to clients and to candidates where, you know, I've done one the other week where I've tried, I've slipped a candidate who's out of work a lead with a company that I don't deal with because the guy's out of work. And I've texted him and said, mate, you need to apply to company X. And, you know, why have I done it? Well, partly because I'm a nice guy and partly because, actually, do you know what? In my heart, I want him to say nice things about me. I'm going to skip a couple of chapters here from uh, Money and the Paradox. Um, Because this book, you know, we've got a few pages to get through here. The one I wrote down here was Your Economy. Um, And I just thought that this was absolutely right on the money. He says, when your economy goes into a tailspin, it's easy to slip into panic mode. Been there. I just don't know anybody that hasn't been there. I just think that was a fabulously accurate thing to say for a, a book that's clearly quite old. Is it quite an old book, this? I would have said so, wouldn't you? I'm, I, no, I think it's quite recently written, this. Is it? Yeah, well, I think he puts some context in later on in the book about anyway, the economy thing. 2009. The economy thing. You know, when the economy goes into a t- tailspin, it's easy to slip into panic mode. I just see that a lot. I'll tell you where I see that a lot. If you were to extend that metaphor to somebody looking for a job... And I get it because people have got the mortgages to pay and they've got the kids to pay for and all the rest of it. But you see people take make terribly bad moves when they're out of work and they're desperate. Well, and also I think people lose. And the point he's making is when times are tough and when the economy is tough, the go-giver loses, can easily lose his spirit as a go-giver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his point being is actually that's the time when you double down on being a go-giver. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you, and you double down on delivering value to the customer or to everybody around you somehow, because it, 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 it at some point finds its way back. Something that I found a little bit paradoxical here is, at some point, I think, as the go-giver, I have to admit that I'm in it to win it. I'm waiting for Mark's response. What do you think, Mark? So, my, my, so I've sort of sat here all the way through going, okay, great, I'm a go-giver. But, and I get it. And, I, and, I, and, I, and do you know what? 
every book we've read on the show, Mark, has made me take a little bit of something from it. And it's been a great exercise for us just doing the show because actually it forces me to read at least one sales book a month. And I'm going to take a bit out of this. I'm going to think more about my own go-giving mentality. I know I will, and it'll rub into me somewhere. But at the same time, I've read this and I'm sat here thinking, oh, come on, mate. It, it, at some point, if I'm in sales, I'm in it for commission and bonus. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm go-giving. But I can't be that much of a go-giver because some point it's not all about altruism. Some point it's about scores on the doors and money in the bank. I, I don't think that's unfair. Um, I mean, if, if I was sat opposite a salesperson looking to hire them... Oh, and Mark, they, you said what I was going to say. Yeah. Could you imagine? Go on, go for it. You're right, Mark, because you're interviewing me and, I, and you say, what's my sales methodology? And I go, well, I'm into go-giving, Mark. What do you reckon? I just yeah, get... I'd just say, you're not... Mo- if salespeople don't want money, then that, that seriously concerns me. Um, you know, when, when I got into sales, I was always under the impression that salespeople will have the bigger houses, drive the nicest cars. You know, that, that, that commission is, is enviable from, from anyone that, Correct. that's not getting it. Um, and, and, and so it should be, you know, let, let's just talk about sales for a minute now, right? It's bloody hard work. It, when it goes wrong, you, you get all the fingers pointed at you, you're out of a job, you are looked at with one thing, how much revenue have you generated? doesn't matter how nice you are, doesn't matter that you come in a little bit early, leave a little bit late, you might bring cakes in every Friday, you might, you might help out the support team. If you're not generating money and hitting target or exceeding it, you're in trouble. Um, I, so I, I, I disagree, you know, I totally get that you need to give, create value. And, and the economy thing, I get that, but th- there is an element of salespeople that will always come down to what do they want. You know, I've, I've got a family. That's that's what keeps me you know, motivated. I want to earn that money. I want to make sure my little boy gets a nice holiday. We're looking to get a bigger house. That That is Correct. a motivator for me. It's uh, a weird motivation. I agree. And he, he talks about this willing suspension of our disbelief. And, and for me, I, and, and I can't wait to talk to Bob about this um, because he's saying the point is to not, it, the point is not to act generously in order to create a strategic result. It is to act generally, generously, period. And, and I, for me, I just felt that's a bit disingenuous because at some point it all does boil back to. Uh, it's disingenuous for you. For me. It feels disingenuous to me because it, at some point it all, and you know, Mark's the same, at some point it all boils down to. Paying the school fees and your mortgage. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does. Um, I mean, the other thing, though, with the economy, that I, I would challenge it slightly in, in the sense of I genuinely believe if you've got a perfect fit customer there who has a real pain and that pain is a 9 or 10 out of 10, they will buy from you. If, if, you, if you have given the right confidence and they need your product badly enough, that the economy won't mean anything because money loses all value here because you're solving a problem, and that's yeah, where I, I resonate. That's where I resonate with the book. And then on the flip and side, it, it could be cash-rich company. If it's just a nice to have, they're not going to fight for it. They're not going to make it happen. The, the economy really, I think, will just be an excuse for a salesperson to say they haven't got a sale. I agree. And the book hit a bit of a biting point for me here on the concept of the economy. You know, he was talking about. Um, 
do, do you create more value than you do in payment? And then I actually sat there and I was at the time I was looking at my phone and I looked at my phone and I thought, hold on a minute. Why do I buy Apple phones? Because actually they create shed loads more value than the thousand pounds worth of phone. You, you can, you can Apple, go- but, but they do. Apple bring you a lot more value than your thousand pounds. People sit there and go, it's a thousand pounds for a phone. But actually, if you think about it, it's in your hand all day. It does everything for you. It brings it's value. It's a fashion accessory as well, isn't it? It's what? Like, it's almost like a fashion accessory as well, the I, iPhone. I, I'm so, yeah, mate. It, so it's, it brings so much value in so many different ways. And we complain that it's a grand. And then it made me think, actually, he's got a point, this fella. Are you bringing more value than you are in the, in the payment? Anyway, his first, one of his first five, whatever he's referring to as, stratos- five laws of stratospheric success is the law of value. Number two, his second law is the law of compensation. Okay, tell us about that, Mike. Uh, basically, I mean, I'll sum it up if you like. Basically, be interested, be nice, be genuine, and it'll all come back to you. Yeah, so chapter seven is called Touch Lives. That's all the chapters just summarised. And, and what- or the sub-chapters of this chapter, anyway. Your compensation is directly proportional to how many lives you touch. So one of the things I'm going to ask Bob when he comes on the show is, okay, so if I'm automating my marketing and my marketing is delivering value, am I still touching lives? No, because you will not be being authentic or curious or interested. But what if I'm touching It's the whole package. It's the whole package. But what if, Johnny. But you what can't if, pick and choose out of it. But you're either in or you're not. That's why you're so cynical. <laughs> but what if I'm touching people and actually they're, they're, they're sat there responding going, what a great approach. We really love that. It's fresh. It's original. You've really helped me fit this, understand the job. Bob, Bob the would job. say you haven't had genuine, heartfelt curiosity in that individual. You just got lucky that someone was interested in what you sent. But who's got time to do this, though? Yes, I've got no. a bit of a problem with this chapter here. I mean... I mean, obviously, networking is is key, and I mean, look how we met. You know, I, yeah. I put something on LinkedIn, you saw it, and now we're we're having a conversation. Yes, we are. I get the power of social selling and and networking, I really do. But I mean, I'm going to push back on the concept that it's not about selling to as many people as possible; it's to touch as many lives as possible. I, I get the concept, but if you took that literally, how much time could you waste here? I mean, I personally, I take as much pleasure in qualifying out as I do qualifying in. I've got to tell you, Mark, Jonathan is here nodding, so I'm going to, I'm going to fight the two of you single-handedly. <laughs> so, so, what, so what's happening here is you two are cynically trying to touch as many people as possible, hopefully, hopefully hoping that somebody answers or opens one of your emails, whereas what I am going to do is I am going to physically walk the streets and show genuine interest and offer value to the individuals that I meet Bob because I'll make more money than you. Good, good luck doing that in London, just walking the streets. <laughs> Through Peckham. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My, my question is, it's a really nice heartfelt point. It really is. Mm. And I love the concept of touching people's lives and, and being there and touching everybody's life. And I get it. But... My real question is, you know, Mike, you and I know what it's like to cold call in the recruitment industry. Um, we've done our fair share of it in our lives. Um, it's very difficult to touch people's lives when you've got 15 seconds to make an impact. When cynical people like you exist, yes, Jonathan. <laughs> That's the point of his book, though, isn't it? But I think you've said that with a bit of tongue-in-cheek there, Mike. Go on, Mark, what do you reckon? 
what, what do I reckon to, to what specifically? So, I feel so, like so I'm, I'm disagreeing with you two on purpose, really, to make a point, which is... And, and what we always find when the guest comes on the show is they give us context that we just didn't have when we were reading the book. Yeah. Well, I, you know, just to reiterate my point, really, I, I get what he's saying. Um, and I think, you know, if I owned a little bike shop that specialised in a road bikes, I, I get that, you know, as many people as you meet that specialise in road bikes, the interesting road bikes... They're going to tell their road bike friends and they might travel further to come see you. I get that. But the I reality agree. is, in, in B2B sales, qualifying out is just as enjoyable as qualifying in. The, the important thing is when you qualify someone out, that just means they're not a good fit today. Do it with style. Make sure they understand. And I actually find when I qualify a prospect out, they agree with me. Yeah. They, they acknowledge they're not a good fit but they leave educated knowing what problems that we solve and they have that positive mental image and then that's a future opportunity. We connect on LinkedIn. If they ever need me, and this is, has happened, they come back. Yep. But you, you can't sit around wasting your time talking to everybody that walks the streets of London just in case. Correct. And then one of his chapters here is on people and it says... Rapport. You want, well, this is the one before rapport, actually. Is it? It says, you want great people skills, then be a person. And that's what he's talking about, being genuine. I do agree with that, actually. I think I he's do right. agree with that. I meet a lot of disingenuous people, and what what happens there is they are therefore incongruent, the and now? subconsciously you can pick it out. What's that, Mark? So who's the cynical one now? I meet a lot of disingenuous people. Uh, yeah, and I don't just mean in sales, I mean in life. I meet a lot of people who are incongruent with who they are, and the subconscious picks it out. Whereas what Bob Berg's saying is... Uh, he's saying be genuine and be honest and then you'll be more successful. And he's right, I do agree with that. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think the more, con- what I think what Mike's getting at, Mark, is the more you are true to who you are and the more real you are with who you are and the more of a rounded person you are, the more you will find it easy to build rapport. Whereas I think what Mike's getting at is sometimes you meet people who aren't congruent. In all walks of life. In all walks of life. Yeah, no, of course. They're, I, I did. they're, they're I did. trying to be someone else. And I think what he's saying yeah. is if you if you want good people skills, be a person. And I think part of that is that congruence of this is me. You, I, I, this is me. What you what you see is what you get. I think that is a very an un, under, understated but very powerful thing in a salesman. I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the reality here is, um, you know, we, we live in sales. It is not nine to five, Monday to Friday. No. So the, the thought of being someone else 24-7 is exhausting. Yes. I, I, I am just myself and, you know, that, that works really well with, with a lot of people that, that I meet and, you know, that, that is certainly my sales style. So I, I completely agree with that. You know, you can see through masks and disguises. Mm-hmm. Um I find when I have a real conversation with someone, you do, you build that rapport and, and, and you build that for a, for a long time in your network. Absolutely. And then he's got chapter nine on rapport where he says, contrary to common belief, the gift of gab does not make a great salesperson. In fact, those who prattle on typically make the least effective salespeople. I did write in my notes here, but sharp, articulate, witty ones seem to do all right. True. Um. So I've got mixed feelings about that because I get his point and I'm, I'm a huge, huge advocate that actually some of the best salespeople I've worked with in my career are often deeply introverted, quiet, not particularly charming. 
actually. Um, so I, I'm a great believer in that, and, and I've, I could rattle off story upon story of extremely high-performing sales professional who was a quiet introvert, not that articulate, but incredibly diligent, highly intelligent, highly consultative. Um, well, I can, I can believe that. Uh, you know, I, I took a different key message in this chapter, and that was, it's not about you. You know, you can have all the reports, building skills in the world, but what you shouldn't be doing is using that report to talk about yourself. You should be talking about your prospects, talking about their world, their challenges. You know, you should never try and one-up their stories or turn their their stories into you or, oh, yeah, I relate to that because I've got this bigger, better story. That That's where, again, that rapport building can, can swing the other way. So I can absolutely imagine the type of people you're describing there, why, why that works, because they wouldn't do that. Absolutely. Yeah, Chapter, absolutely. The, part 10, then, of this second thing, it says... He's opening gamut from this Deborah Davenport, whoever that is. As long as you're trying to be someone else or putting on some act or behaviour someone else taught you, you have no possibility of truly reaching people. And that's what I was talking about before in terms of personal congruence. Yeah. I think he's absolutely right in that regard, actually. And, and what, what do you think about his point he makes about skills, Mike? Oh, where are we there? So what he's saying here is uh, he's sort of having it. It's it, not that skills aren't valuable. They are that bit. Yeah, so he's saying, you know, he sometimes is nice by the idea of selling. Um, and he's talking about, he gives an example here of feel, felt, found objection handle, which you know I'm a huge fan of. Mm. Um, and how he's saying it's not that skills aren't valuable, they are. There are many skills you can cultivate to the great benefit of both yourself and the people you meet. The problem occurs when using a technical formula that distracts your attention from where it needs to be, which is on the other person. And I agree. But what I don't agree with is actually how do you make sure that you focus your attention on the other person is that you hone your skills to the point that the skills bit is automatic so you can focus on the other individual. What do you reckon, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I'm in quite a lot of agreement with that. I mean, one of the first things that I got taught in sales was be interested to be interesting. And, and that's always always stuck with me, really, just that nice that. that. that that curiosity and, and, and well, desire. Well, that's the change, isn't it? Curiosity, yeah. I knew you were going to like that bit from what we were saying, actually, Mark. Yeah, it does, yeah. It's a nice segue into the next bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And then I think what we'll do is I think we should probably split up after the curiosity section. Well, we've got maturity and just after it. Is the curi- Well, okay, then let's do curiosity. So, what, so what's he saying about curiosity? What Mark just said, really. Mark was 100% right. You know, how, how are you interesting... You're interesting by being interested. Okay. I've written here, in the heat of battle, they don't care that you're interested in them. You don't have enough time before the phone goes down. So my point being is, if you're cold, it's great once you're through the door, but if I was sat on my phone cold calling all day, have I really got the time, have I really got the opportunity to be interested in my prospect? See, but that for me, that's not the purpose of a cold call. The purpose of a cold call is to just see if the problems you solve resonates with that potential buyer. Yeah, it's to get me and in you, the door. You get, out in two, you get in and out in two minutes and you confirm more convenient time to speak for a longer period of time and then that's when you use the, the interested to be interesting. Yeah. A cold call okay. is all about that opportunity and confirming time to speak. Right. And then what about maturity, chaps? Which is the next chapter. I can't remember what you said in this. Let me look at my notes. Just going back to Being the... in control of your emotions. 
Yeah, I, I can agree with this. Keeping focus on your feelings, sorry, keeping focus on their feelings rather than your own. Yeah. I mean, when I look back over the last 10 years, I can think of a few times I've got that wrong. You know, you, you feel a deal's close to being being over the line, but then you get told it's going to be another three months. Rather than seeking to understand and ensure that it closes in three months' time, you go uber defensive. Or if they ask you about competitors, people normally get this sort of competitor reflux. and They start going defensive. When it, it is, you've got to keep thinking why they're asking that question. Seek to understand and really just rise above your gut instinct. And, and again, it's not about you. It's not personal. It's mm-hmm. about them and their world and their rights to ask those questions. And yeah, I think that's the key thing here. So we're, so we're two chapters into a, what effectively is a five-chapter book then broken into subparts. Question is, Mark, is if, is if your mate who's a sales guy phoned you up and said, should he buy the book, what's your answer? No, because I, I think I could just tell him about it. I don't, I don't mean to sound, you know, harsh. I, I didn't. I did not enjoy the book. I've definitely taken a couple of things away from it, but I think I could regurgitate that over a pint rather than someone needing to read the whole book. Right. Well, Mark, you've been a good guest, I've got to say. You've told it like it is, and we love that. Perfect. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Hopefully right. we can uh, do it. Cool. Well, nice to see you today. We'll catch up soon. Thanks very much. Take care, boys. See Thanks. you, Mark. Right, so let's wrap up for a week. Next week we'll do the remaining half of the book. Well, there's another. There's effectively another three uh, laws. He calls them laws, doesn't he? There's another yes. three laws. There are another three laws we'll talk through and we'll discuss. Maybe somebody else will phone in as a, as a, as a guest for the show. That would be fantastic if we could get someone. If you're out there, you're listening, just let us know. That's all you've got to do is get on, the, get on a phone call and, and hang out with us and talk about the book. It was great having a guest on, actually. Much more interesting than you, Pricey. And at that, let's roll the titles. Thank you what is this this is different Lauren 